Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands that we're on are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, which are now the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Hoki, Meko Chase, Chase Dokom Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. That was my uh, my humblest apologies to Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation of Red Thunder Woman. My English name is Michelle Robinson, and I was born Michelle Elliott. These English colonial names have afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Denny, or Satu Denny, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says I'm a Yellowknife Dene. <laughs> I'm also a daughter. Wow. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me up in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments, your questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I'll give a quick shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa with one S, and Veronica. Today's a really special day because, as I said, I'm talking into the future. I have Shannon Foster from Sydney. Uh, she, <laughs> she is actually a knowledge keeper, an educator, artist. She's been teaching her family stories to a range of audiences for over 20 years. Uh, Shannon is currently undertaking her PhD at the Center for Advancement of Indigenous Knowledges at the University of Technology. Sydney re researching and documenting her family stories. Live, uh, living dreaming is what I have here. Welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me here today. This is wonderful. Awesome. I love your intro. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Yay! I'm so glad. You know, uh, sometimes when I say it, then that way uh, people feel more comfortable, you know, telling us who they are in yeah. their language and, and where they're yeah. coming from. So uh, it, it's it's just yeah. a good way. And that was the way we used to do it before colonialism. Mm. And that's it's so our way of being to position yourself and to let people know who you are and how we're related and how we're connected and it's just such a human way of interacting with each other, especially people you don't know. So I love it. Thank you so much. It was brilliant. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You know, uh, my husband actually sent me this link. I think it was through the BBC of uh, the Australian fires that uh, your continent is currently um, facing right now. Mm. Um, just to give you some background. So right where we're at, we experienced a flood in 2013. And the response to the mm -hmm. non-Indigenous compared to the Indigenous and the surrounding reserves were it was night and day contrast. And, um, you know, I couldn't help but think mm -hmm. that uh, I can't imagine what's happening there when you're experiencing 
basically the same type of colonialism and how the services mm. would be, you know, distributed differently based on whether or not you're Indigenous or, or non-Indigenous. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about um, about this experience for you, if you if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, I um I would love to talk to you more about it. I'm happy to talk to the whole world about it. It's um it's very interesting sort of space to be in in this last week or so where people are starting to listen to the indigenous voice in these stories and it's been a really unusual week. Um so I should should start by saying that I'm a Dharawal woman. I'm a Dharawal woman from the Sydney region where saltwater, Garigalono people um, and um, I have always been here my family has always been here and to give some context to the things that I teach and that I do um, because we're on the front line of colonization here in Australia it means that people think that we're gone that we're extinct and I've been told my whole life that I can't possibly exist yeah. um, so I've spent my life making sure that people do know that we do exist and we are here and uh, that we're we've survived and we haven't just survived but we've thrived and our culture is still very much alive and um, very complex and and still very um, much part of our lives our everyday lives so um, where do I even start with the fires it's one of those tragic tragic events and they they do happen very regularly here in Australia but this is a really large um, wildfire that's happening here in Australia at the moment and um, it's it's devastating because we have been trying to tell the government, if not for years, then decades, um, and if not even for decades and centuries, that this this land, this country, has been maintained with the use of fire um, for thousands and thousands of years, and evidence shows up to even a hundred thousand years. Um, this, this country's been burnt and regularly cared for with fire, um, a very different type of fire that we're experiencing now, but fire nonetheless. And we've been trying to protect some of our sacred sites and some of our areas around Sydney and in other parts of Australia. And we've been knocked back by every single government body and um, department that could possibly in any way allow us, and I say that in um, inverted commas in that, um, we have to ask permission or it's considered an act of vandalism and it's criminalised. And um, if we were to ever start to do any of this without any sort of permissions. So um, now to have this event happen and this damage and this destruction of our country and our sacred sites is utterly, utterly devastating. And, you know, we hear a lot here in Australia, you know, we need to get over the past and we need to, you know, it was 1788, it was 230 years ago and all of this sort of thing. But the damage, and this is just evidence of the scale of the damage that just continues on in our lives under the hands of colonisation. Mm -hmm. um, it's utterly tragic. It's just indescribable. Words don't describe it at all. I, um, I, uh, so I'm a Star Wars nerd. And uh, in the very first <laughs> um, A New Hope where they blow up Princess Leia's uh earth basically and uh it's like that feeling where it's just like screaming and you know so many beings mm. are being devastated that's how i feel like mm. you can't really put that into words mm. you just know how much is being taken yeah. in in this time and you don't even have time to mourn mm. it it just happens and it it's a shock. no yeah so yeah. i'm sorry to and hear there's that. so many Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And I know that um, colonised people all over the world know these feelings and know what this is like and understand this experience. It's just such an awful position to be in, to be living amongst the colonised who, you know, um, just 100% don't even acknowledge our, our, our place in all of these stories in any way whatsoever, let alone in a way that we could we could help the situation, that the things didn't have to be this bad, that things didn't have to get so far and so much damage to occur. Um, it's it's a really, it's a crazy world. There's like two complete alternate universes happening. Yes. <laughs> there's this colonised world and then there's this, the world of the colonised and it's so completely different. So it's such strange, strange. Um, and this week I've sort of felt them kind of bumping together a little bit. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird, which is a really strange place to be because, um, you know, it's, and it's very odd that I'm speaking to people all over the world and still in our own country. Nobody's interested really in hearing the Indigenous stories. It's awful. Um, I uh, really related to a lot of things yeah. you said where people have tried to erase us and assume, talk about us always mm. in past tense as opposed to present yes. tense. 
And um, that whole, mm. why can't you get over it, is something we hear all the time here. Um, it's mm. awful. We have such similar um, experiences, even though we are continents we really away. It, it's so wrong. Yeah. And I, you know, um, mm. I, I really, ha one of my biggest goals in my life is trying to not forgive and forget, but to understand mm. the root of the problem coming from Britain and then mm. completely destroying the world, in my opinion. And I just, you know, when yeah. I think of all of the genocide that has occurred under their reign, I, I just don't understand mm. how they're not held more accountable, you know, so. Yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And that people just seem to be living in this, it's like the Matrix or something, this like, yep. <laughs> This bubble like they haven't taken the pill yet or something like they're just not seeing what is right under their eyes and right under their noses it's quite incredible the, the just the the, cult, the collective amnesia and the collective just yep. complete and utter disregard for anything that that unsettles them or you know makes them feel uncomfortable or highlights the level of privilege and the level of um destruction and damage that their lives are built on it's really quite incredible it is incredible um, and i'm like I, I can't believe we have so much in common, despite the fact that we yeah. are so far away from each other. I know. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. And there's just like, there's just so much sort of, um, oh, there's so much comfort in that, in that, um, in that collectiveness and that whole, like that people understand, like I have spoken to so many different groups of colonized people this week and it's like, wow, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, we all, like, there's just so much comfort in it. There's just this, we know, we know the stories, we understand there's a level of, I don't have to explain to you, you know, I don't have to yep. start from scratch or I don't have to put a protective wall up and yes. try and be careful not to offend you or upset you, you know, like, it's yep. like, wow, this is <laughs> it's beautiful, so free. <laughs> it is, uh, you know, it's I call wonderful. that, uh, so there's white coding, which uh, they talk about the black community, mm -hmm. especially in the states has really like done the groundwork on talking about a lot of that white coding mm. where you have to be guarded and figure out how far down the yeah. rabbit hole people have gone and then the other thing is mm. that's exhausting and they've coined this term it i've is. talked to the pro uh, prof uh bleh, the prof who uh put together the term racial battle fatigue and um and it's mm. such a great description of what that experience is like of always trying to white code and, you know, meet people where they're yeah. at. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think the emotional labor is intense. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. And so, yeah, I just I really relate to what you're saying. And, and I can assure you that, unfortunately, mm. those are the issues that we have here in Canada and the U.S. as well. It's funny mm. because there's this border that separates us but it actually is invisible we don't have a fence up there it is and um yeah. our people were separated because of that border in a lot of places across the mm. across there so um when i talk about the blackfoot confederacy part of them are now with what's in the states and they didn't have a choice mm. about that <laughs> you know it just happened so, yeah 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 that's yeah. in, it's incredible. The that's such a part of the story, especially in the fires at the moment, is um is these divisions that exist. So, in order for us to talk to anybody about having access to some of our cultural practices and being able to enact culture on the country, you have to not just ask or petition the government, um, but there's also the government's broken down into different divisions as well. So there's national parks and wildlife, there's the Office of Environment and Heritage, there's the local council areas, there's the state government, there's the federal government. There are a plethora of different bodies. And then there's the Aboriginal Local Aboriginal Lands Councils, which is another government body, though it does sound like a non-government body, it's actually not. Um, it's insane. Yes. And to try and bring everybody together, let alone their funding and how all that works and their jurisdiction and how all that works and to in any way get any kind of decisions made or any kind of work done, it's just nigh on impossible. It's just insane. Yeah. Um, well, it, is, it has been impossible to now. The best we can do is we can go into our spaces and clear them back with um, with machetes, which we have done, but um, it's not a long-term solution. It's very short-term and it doesn't fix the problem at all so yeah I, I don't know if you want me to go into what I mean by our cultural burns and I'd love how that. we enact that and yeah, yeah? I would okay. love that because one, that. I'll the just tell you the BBC quote that I read um, 
you know, mm. you're quoted as saying Aboriginal people have looked after this place for so long to see it now destroyed because nobody has allowed us to take care of for it is devastating. It's not like we didn't mm. tell you so. And I, when I read that, yeah. I'm like, you know, um, the next speech that I kind of say in my podcast is like, we've been telling people in commissions and in reports and in inquiries, you mm -hmm. know, these are our perspective and it just goes onto a mm -hmm. shelf. They don't listen. Yeah. So anyway, no, please, absolutely I would love to hear. Uh, they don't listen at that, all. Right. Uh, tell me about your and experience. You know, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that I could only say those things because I was talking to the BBC. Yeah. Because if I said those things in Australia, I'd be strung and quartered if I said, I told you so. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everybody's really mourning and I do, I sympathise with the people who have also faced devastating loss and the loss of lives and property and everything else. And I'm not in any way expressing my lack of compassion and lack of care for those people in those situations. But what I do need to say is we have we have told you so. This has been said thousands of times. This country cannot be managed this way. This place, this is not how this country can provide for you. You have to help her as well. You can't just expect the country to provide everything and then you do nothing for her. So um, it's such a large part of the problem as well that um, people don't listen. So, yeah, I, you know, it's very un-Australian to say things like that and, the, you know, <laughs> The privileged white masses would be incredibly unhappy with somebody saying, I told you so, you know, in the face of utter devastation. But, you know, that's the reality of it. You know, we've been warning about this. This is exactly the things you shouldn't be doing if you don't want to have this level of devastation. Here in Canada, <sighs> we had an inquiry and uh, we actually called what's happening to the women um genocide and a lot of canadians mm, just refuse, how dare you yeah oh. they just refuse to even listen to the rest of the inquiry because you dare use that term mm. and um mm. so i feel that and another thing that has recently happened was there was a, a plane filled with some of the uh, most brightest iranian folks that are now canadian and that got shot down and when that happened um you know rightfully so we mobilized and you know the prime minister said mm. oh we're going to give twenty five thousand dollars to each family member um in the in the meantime so that they can get their families blah 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 and i thought we have a genocide mm. of indigenous women i don't mean to be callous or disrespectful but it's just shocking how quickly mm. you know um the white privileged colonial government mm -hmm. can move for one group of people and not for another it's just it's utterly yeah. shocking to me and i don't mean that in disrespectful mm. terms either and i don't no. um, you know i absolutely agree we no. should be taking care of canadians and their mourning families but it's just interesting mm. how they get the um you know services resources sympathy but there's just a sympathy mm. gap when it comes to indigenous people yeah, we just get called complaining blacks and upstart blacks here if we ever should in any way complain about anything because, you know, Australia is so wonderful and such a lucky country and we're, we've got all this amazing stuff and we're, you know, you know, we should never complain. And it's like <laughs> people have no idea of what's going on on the other side of the fence, not a clue. Yes. So um, that's, that's what I make my life's mission is to make sure people find out. And I do unfortunately have to, in many situations, bow down and make sure that I'm making things accessible and digestible and and not too scary and not too like um you know shame provoking and all of those sorts of things I have to really be careful sometimes how I speak and and in a lot of ways I found I do you know in a lot of situations I do catch more flies with honey than with vinegar yeah. um, for want of a better term but you know, there's also the places where I like to let loose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, and, and my yeah. podcast is absolutely one of them. Uh, I just would love to hear more about, awesome. um, especially yeah. your Indigenous knowledge when it comes to fires and uh, how they're supposed yeah. to be maintained. I'd love to hear more about that. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. So think of our country. It's just beautiful. We call, we call country, countries our mother. And, and it's with a capital C country, so it's a person, it's a noun, it's a, it's a, a pronoun, it's um, a way of describing the land around us. And 
people talk about going on country, which is to go out onto the land, onto the bush or the rivers or the waterways. But I consider that being on country is no matter where you are. It doesn't matter how much concrete, glass or steel they lay down. Mm-hmm. You are always on country and you should act accordingly. And it should be a level of reverence in that you're, uh, you're in a church or a synagogue or a temple or anywhere um, special like that, that you have to be very careful. She's our mother and she provides for us. So um, our beautiful country um, amazing plants that can survive drought can survive fire and can survive so many different climactic conditions and um, with that comes a lot of leaf litter so fallen leaves and twigs and branches and bark a lot of our gum trees will um, lose bark in the same way that a a, you know a pet dog or cat will shed shed skin or shed fur Mm. um, at certain times of the year so if you think about that forest floor then it's just absolutely thick with really easily combustible very dry um, leaf litter and foliage and different um, aspects of that so that needs to be tended that's like um, going and having your hair cut and I've heard heard elders describe country that hasn't been maintained I've heard them say that it's like a child with unkept hair you know and it makes them very sad this country isn't being cared for and looked after Mm. and so what we would do on a very regular basis and even on a daily basis in some circumstances is constantly use fire in my family in the Darawa we have a person we call the Daramoy which is the keeper of the flame and the keeper of the flame will say when you do and don't light fires how you do and don't use fire fire is a huge part of our culture and it's a almost like a living, breathing element that stays with us all the time. We carry fire around with us. We've learnt to um, harness fire to be able to have it in the bottom of our wooden canoes, our bark canoes, and it doesn't burn a hole through the bottom of them. And so uh, as women, we would fish um, immediately putting the fish straight onto the fire and eating it straight away, straight out of the canoe as you're still going around the waterways here. Mm. And um, I called the world's very first drive-through. You know, so you <laughs> keep your hands off the chips, fries. <laughs> 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 you know, it's, it evokes a real sort of um, a vision in your head. You know, you can imagine you've got this beautiful fish. Of course, you want to start eating it straight away. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, so fire is incredibly important. So what we need to do is keep a check on all of that leaf litter and also keep a check on the pathways. So um, in Aboriginal um, culture, we burn back areas so that we can get through from one area to another so that we have walkways and pathways. Mm. And people always scream furiously about how bad the traffic here is in Sydney because it's it's not town planned. It was it's all intertwining roads that back around and back, a, you know, they go around and around in circles and do all sorts of strange things. And it's because our roads, the main roads throughout Sydney are actually old Aboriginal walking trails. So the very main streets through Sydney, through a huge city with trucks, buses and cars and everything else and trams and the trains and everything are all old Aboriginal walking trails maintained with fire. You know, Street, George Street, all the way up north, south, everywhere. Mm. Right. Um, So New York City. A lot of the um, major yeah. streets and such were in first Indigenous trails. Mm. Here in Canada, a lot of the railways were put down on the Indigenous trails. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I relate mm-hmm. to what you're saying. But the like hearing you talk about how you always carry fire, even in your canoes, and you burn it as you go. Mm. This is incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's exactly what we do. And and then obviously colonization moved in, so. Um, you know, we were dispossessed from land all over the place um, and immediately pushed to the periphery and the margins. And um, so cutting like a lot, very long story short, but I'll probably go back and fill in all the gaps anyway. <laughs> um, of course, the fire stopped happening, our burning, our cultural burning every day. So we, we do what's called a cool burn or a soft burn. And so it's very, um, it's a particular kind of burn that is um, very slow and easy and it only gets up to about knee height and it runs in a particular pattern of circular. So you'll find an ignition spot and you'll ignite from there and it will burn outward. So animals that are caught in it can get escape and then they can find shelter elsewhere, especially by maintaining the canopies, which is where a lot of the animals, the plant, the birds and the marsupials will want to run to. Um, so there's a, a whole sort of interconnected complex sort of scheme of the reasons and the ways in which we burn so that um, the land isn't um, too damaged or, or the animals aren't too impacted. And you do it in a mosaic pattern. So there's always still some vegetation available and there's always still somewhere to hide and a habitat to go to. And this was done in an interconnected 
series across the entire continent and it's a huge continent and everywhere across Australia did it. It's such a vital part of our ecology and you'll find that Australian native plants they have an incredibly hard seed covering it's like stone you can't break it with your teeth and it needs to be burnt now these wildfires that are going through at the moment actually decimate everything in their path but a soft burn will actually help crack open the pericarp that outer coating of the seed mm. and allow it to germinate much quicker and so what you have if you don't have that happening then the plants that don't germinate very quickly tend to get very quickly overrun by infestation species. And so it doesn't encourage biodiversity either. So you have the fires mean that plants that otherwise wouldn't be able to prosper are able to prosper against these infestation species. Um, and also the fires that burn leave behind the ashes that are full of potassium, which mm. is vital for our plants to be able to flower everybody's sort of raised here going oh you know native plants don't need any fertilization or anything like that which technically they don't but they do need the potassium from the fire in order to flower profusely yeah. and it's the profuse flowering that then feeds the habitat it also feeds humans as well because we wash the flowers and drink the water that comes from the washed flowers so there's a whole interconnected like it, it can takes into consideration everything within the system not just the earth not just the plants not just the people not just the animals but everything and it's all interconnected incredibly complex and so those fires um we were always doing them and it was just a constant part of our daily routine to make sure that land was being managed and you can see in the very early colonial drawings of um, the australian landscape the ways in which we basically um, cultivated and managed the landscape Mm -hmm. So we would maintain areas to be grasslands to bring in the larger marsupials like kangaroos and wallabies and things like that. And that made for easier hunting and easier um, methods of being able to, to catch the animals. But we also made sure that there was forest available still for them to find shelter in because without it, they're not going to hang around. They need shelter. They also need food and they also need water. And there was some very clever hunting techniques based around um, waterways. So where a valley has filled with water and there's a slope going down into the water, that would be maintained as grass. So then the kangaroos would come in and feed and the hunters could come in and the kangaroos would be backed against the water. And it took very little effort whatsoever to be able to find food and, and catch food for yourself and your family. So it was all about how can the, the land help us and how can we help the land? Like there's just it's such a complex range of stories. But what I was leading to was that you can see in the very early colonial images, you can see how the landscape was managed. Mm -hmm. And then as you start to get into look at the artists, the Australian Impressionist artist, this Tom Roberts, Arthur Streeton, and they were huge landscape painters. And you could start to see the landscape becoming wild. And then now if you take a photo of the same landscape, it's just a hill covered in bush. There's not, you can't see any sort of differences in the ecologies or in the space or amongst the landscape. So what was in the very early drawings, it's quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. I can send you the pictures of some of the areas that, that show this quite clearly. People talk about, you know, oh, it was just all, like even the Prime Minister, the previous Prime Minister said, Australia was just wild bush before we came along. Ugh. Seriously, they still say that in like the 2000s. I'm like insane. I know. I, it's and unbelievable. So this, I'm sorry. Oh, but, you know, we, we struggle oh, with that here too. You know, we have these, uh, yeah. the famous five are these uh, painters that did landscape artists of, um, of uh, landscape mm. oil paintings of Canada. And, um, mm. you know, it, it was always to portray the land as empty and that it was a wild mm. wilderness so that it erases, you mm. know, you and I and our, yes. and our history and, and how we um, yep. had our relationship with That's the land. Yeah. Yeah. So they say, what, no fences, no fixed dwellings and no um, agriculture. So therefore, terra nullius. Gross. But if you look at these pictures and you can read country, yep. so you can see it through our eyes and the people who know her and love her best, you can see exactly what's going on in these images. And there's definitely people maintaining these spaces. Well, these and obviously, wild bush. you know, they have these mm. uh, roads that were on your trails. So it, the yeah. irony is that even though they try to claim, you know, there was nobody here, they just happened by chance to take all of the trails yeah. and such that uh, were maintained for mm. thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. So. <laughs> we have way just, too much in common was... and we don't even know each other. <laughs> I know. It's insane. 
it's um it's a through adversity housing. <laughs> um out in the middle of New South Wales, um, people were like doing research and, and lauding all of the early European explorers because they must have been following the stars because the tracks and trails that they created followed the navigation of the stars. Mm. <laughs> and then when you look closer at all of the research, you go, oh, no, wait a minute. The Europeans were following the trails of the Aboriginal people who were navigating by the stars. So <laughs> right. it's like they can't possibly imagine that we were there and we were running an incredibly sophisticated and complex um, civilization. Yes. It's, it's just, you know, oh, but we didn't invent the wheel. That's what we keep hearing. We didn't invent the wheel. Yeah. What do we need the wheel for? We're living on sand. <laughs> <laughs> How good would a wheel be on sand and on the softest, finest, the, the way that the, those, some of those early European notes describe our soil? Because we only have soft-pawed animals. We don't have any hooved animals as native Australian animals. Mm. So they're all soft-pawed. And the earth was so soft because it was tilled with the ash from the fire and the beautiful soft soils. And they were, and we were very um, keen on a particular type of yam, a murnong. So it was a root vegetable so that you would so just delicately and carefully just pluck these from the earth and just till the soil as you went. So it was incredibly soft, fine soil. Why would you want to put a wheel on that? <laughs> yeah, the dumbest thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so brilliant. I'll try not to go into too many avenues off the side, but no, the <laughs> opposite. I'm so <laughs> I'm sure my listeners will feel the same. Where it's like I can't believe, um, you know, hearing your what your stories are. I have a quick question for you. Um, way out yeah, here, please. you know, we always hear about Steve Irwin and the Irwins, and uh, I wanted to ask you because <laughs> something that bothers me is that. If a white yeah. man says it, then it's gold. But yeah. if I say it, yeah, it's, it's okay. ignored. And I, yeah. I've no, always exactly. wondered: is Steve Irwin and that whole crew are they just colonized people that you know look through a colonial lens, or have they ever reached out to you as Indigenous yeah. people? No, I don't. I haven't seen them ever do anything with Indigenous people. I might be wrong. I, I'm happy to stand corrected. I've never seen them actually in any way engage with any indigenous knowledges or indigenous people or anything yeah um i i do think they come from a very colonized perspective and i i think you know their hearts might be in the right place in the ideas of conservation and all those sorts of things but um i don't know if that sort of came about because that was what the market required at the time (laughs) um so you know what i mean like i totally know what you mean uh it's it's so go yeah. ahead. You go ahead. You're my guest. I want no, you to okay. speak as much as you no, want. No, <laughs> I want to talk to you too. Yeah. <laughs> Funny little face to face and we could just yammer at each other. It'd be amazing. You know, and, and I'm coming to Canada. That's it. <laughs> you know, I'd love it. I'd love for you to come here. Um, And you know, it, it's so oh, funny because it's so cold right at this exact moment that mm. I'd be like, can you come any yeah. other time? Because you will not like it if you come today. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll love it because it's so bloody hot and humid here. It is horrible is it hey? um it's it's lovely if you, if you can be by the water it's beautiful if you can be in the water even better but um anywhere else is really hot like the other day we had honestly a 49 degree day wow and that's a day where anything outside literally bakes yeah. so like plants are burnt they're not dry there's all the drought on top of that but um they're like the leaves are burnt i had some plants out under my cover out the back and I went to pick one up and bring it inside because it wasn't doing so well in the heat and the pot was too hot the ceramic pot was too hot for me to pick up I had to use a cloth wow. I had to go and get like oven mitts to pick it up and bring it inside that's how hot we're talking here my God. and people say oh there's no global warming um and this is Sydney like there's we're quite far south of Australia so like down the part the, like down the last quarter of Australia or last third of Australia so there's much hotter places in Australia but on that day here in Sydney in western Sydney was 49 up to 49 and a half degrees so that's insane um so I would I the idea of snow and ice just I, don't know <laughs> I, do right now. I bet I'd probably like it for a week yeah <laughs> I do have a friend who's from Saskatchewan so mm. I was like and I always I'm always reading things from um the university there and I can I, the, the names I can never remember them but I'm always like I want to go there so badly so hopefully Aww. one day I'll get there and we'll get to have this conversation um face to face because we do do a lot of work with scholars and different research and conferences and things 
I think that's um, the uh, strength way. when Indigenous people globally connect. It's such a yeah. such a strength. Um, what, do you guys talk so about uh, the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People much in Australia? Um, yes and no, because United Nations doesn't have a very good reputation here mm. because um, they declared third world conditions in our remote communities. Right. And then, which is true, because they are third world conditions and we've got the highest rates of um, third world diseases, trachoma, rheumatic heart fever, um, a whole lot of other different problems and issues. But then the UN um, allowed Australia onto the board of something, whatever it is, something they do. Sure. I should probably find out the wording so that I get it right. But And so I, I do see it thrown around a bit in academia. Yeah. In, in ways to like sort of give things credence and stuff. Yeah. And I really want to believe in that kind of thing, but I just can't. Where they where they where they make these huge statements and say, oh, there's third world conditions. But what are you doing about it? You're not doing anything. And in fact, you're going the other way and you're rewarding countries who oh, treat I... people this way. Let alone yeah. let alone what's going on with refugees and everything. Like there's just so many ways that we violate basic human rights here in Australia. Yes. That oh. I have very little. I feel. But what you... were you going to say about them? I. Well, I, I feel yeah. you about that because uh, so here in Canada, we think the UN is amazing because we were like one of the main mm-hmm. inventors of it. And uh, so okay. we, we're so Sorry proud. if I offended anyone. <laughs> Not, no, the opposite, because I feel exactly how you feel, yeah. where it's a colonial yeah. body that gives mm. like Canada um, stature in many different ways when they actually call it yeah. fourth world living conditions for the reserves here. Yes. And they, um, you yeah, because so, you're a third world country in a first world. Absolutely. And we have genocide. Terrible. Like we are under genocide. Mm. And Canada like mm. has such a overall happy looking tone, according to like the BBC and all these things. And, you know, our Justin Trudeau is super cute. So everybody likes him unless you're indigenous (laughs) and then we don't like him yeah and and, and i say that i've actually been a part of his team to get him elected um i got involved in the liberal party in 2011 Mm. put forward some amazing policies obviously i think so but um yeah and then once you get into power just steadily like who runs the country the Mm -hmm. people with the money right so Mm -hmm. uh, like today today i did a, a speech and I, I talked about land defenders' rights. And um, and here, like, even the most so-called progressives are so happy to, you know, hurt Indigenous people in Hawaii at the Mauna Kea um, place where they want to put this telescope. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's completely funded by Canadian universities because they're all pro-science and, and, mm-hmm. and Indigenous people don't matter. So we'll just bulldoze their lands because we don't care. Um and yet, yep. so, so yeah, on one hand, the UN says, oh, you know, Iran is wrong for this or Saudi Arabia is wrong for this, but Canada's wrong for mm. this and nobody really cares. And there's no mechanism yep. to force Canada to quit doing what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what really bugs me about all of that. I'm like, Yeah. You, you can't go. just make these like huge findings and all these declarations and everything. All these like it's huge, it's enormous, and then nothing just gets. Somebody's obviously paid someone off to shut up, and then that's the end of it. Yeah, obviously. So um, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have two. Questions. It can be. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Finish that no, thought first. Oh no, I was just. No, I was just going to say, you can like it can get you get you really down thinking about how, it's almost like bashing your head against a brick wall that people aren't listening and no one's doing anything. But I think we are making changes and I think things are changing. I don't know how slowly it's going to keep going, but well, I'll give you we both. have to stay hopeful and optimistic. Think, mm. Like the kids on, so yesterday yes. I had to download two different types of softwares. It was like uh, uh, Twitch and Discord. And this is mm-hmm. kind of the off the mainstream um, softwares that, uh, the youth are using in order to basically, you know, put out, down all of us boomers and be like, like they, they totally have it wrong. And they are almost anarchists, yeah. I would say, the, the youth. So I'm hoping that sooner or later everyone will figure out, you know, 0.01 is pretty easy to overthrow. <laughs> I'm hoping. Mm. But we shall see. Um, 
Uh, I was wondering, because you live in Sydney, do you ever go scuba diving? Um, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> um, do a lot of snorkeling, a awesome. lot of snorkeling. Um, scuba diving I have done twice before, but not in Sydney. I did it in Tonga. Um, oh, and once in Sydney, but in a pool, so it doesn't count. Um, so, no. Are you scuba divers there? Yeah, well, my husband and I, we used to scuba dive before we had our mm. daughter. I have a 12-year-old, and uh, that was yeah. kind of the thing we did, but we just got her scuba lessons, so we're trying to figure oh. out, do we recertify or do we just, you know, mm. I don't know what we're going to do, but she's got to yeah. get her, she's going to go scuba diving, no question. And she's really interested yeah. in science, so I'm hoping that she'll be the, you know, kind of what you're doing where you're using your, mm. you know, Western knowledge, but absolutely bringing in indigenous yeah. knowledge as you go so that's the hope that's anyway a very powerful combination yeah right and i think it got, they go hand in hand like it's it just gives you that another layer of understanding of the the place and the spaces that you are so connected to from a very very spiritual level to a very very intellectual level mm-hmm. i think it's the two are, are perfectly aligned um my partner and um my my associate who are my best friend and the woman that i work with um she's a first nations woman and she's scuba diver. she's a master diver and she's brilliant and she does a lot of free diving too and to be able to understand um the water terrain and the water country i think i would love to be able to um to know the underwater spaces better than i know them i know the ones that i go to but yeah. you know they could go down and it's part of our naming system in Sydney, how mm. we name different places. We name them after the ecological sort of specificities of them. So, you know, some one place might be called Wallum, which is the snappers, because that's where the snappers hang out, mm. snapper fish. Another place is called Sydney, you might know as Gaddy Country, which Gaddy is one of the plants, the grass tree. Um, people then colonise that and say, oh, no, it's only the Gaddy people here. Like, there's no one else here. That's just them. It's living on their own. That was it. Like, <laughs> No one else used this place or came here and there's no other kinship system or anything like that, which is madness. But anyway, that's another story that I complain about a lot. No, it's you're right. Revealing though. our knowledges and then colonizing our knowledges. It's yes. like, are you right there? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then, and to have it spewed back to you, like they're telling you your family and your story at you, like they're white splaining you and you're going, are you okay? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I would never to, do that to their families. <laughs> oh, well, out here, like my daughter is taking an Indigenous class and uh, mm-hmm. she was outright talking about being what's called two-spirit here. And that's uh, for gay, lesbian, mm. bisexual, mm-hmm. that whole umbrella. It's like a pan-Indigenous term for white people so that they can like digest. Indigenous mm-hmm. can be gay too. And um, yeah, they actually, she was actually told in her class to, uh, you know, uh, that's not the preferred term. Use the term Badash. And Badash here is actually like a very derogatory term. She's being taught in this mm. school last week this. So I know exactly what you're talking about, mm. about being, you know, settler-splained here. That's what we call it, settler-splaining. Oh, because settler-splaining. That's have, really good. I like that, settler-splaining. Well, <laughs> we have so many people who are not even white. Like, they come from all over the world. Yeah. And they've already taken in the, you know, bias against Indigenous people. And uh, so they do their mm. settler-splaining. And, uh, like, even our mayor. Mm. We have a mayor who's the first Muslim mayor which is something to mm-hmm. celebrate. And I ran in the municipal yeah. election. I seen the racism he faced. But um, even he's like, yay, pipeline. Even though we as an Indigenous community have explained to him, you know, when you say that, you're basically mm. cheering on the death of Indigenous women that are fighting their land defenders trying to mm. stop these pipelines. But they don't care, <laughs> you know. It, and no, it doesn't matter. they don't care. no. So my husband yeah. just snuck up behind me and like, I'm already on high blood pressure pills. <laughs> I probably should be. Oh, it I use so- this very high blood pressure inducing. Oh my gosh. Right. Well, again, with that like settler fatigue, isn't it? God. <laughs> oh, so much so. Um, One so other thing so. that I came across. I- oh, so you go ahead first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted you. No, 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 no. I was- <laughs> Finish your thought. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I was I was just gonna um I can't even remember now, it was about Eve Tuck and about the like the institute doesn't deserve our damage, you know, like Yeah. <laughs> um 
that whole idea that like you know you don't deserve this you don't deserve my time my energy my damage my everything like I'm just done with explaining it (laughs) some days it'd be lovely to stand up and walk out and go no I'm done here (laughs) yeah no kidding well I feel you on that and I know yeah what we try to say in our community when we're together is that you know I know it's hard but you're putting in a good fight Mm -hmm. and of course we're always thinking about the next generation and that's why we take these licks in the hopes that it'll get better for the next generation. So, you know, even from here, from like me giving you like an indigenous sister hug from all the way over here saying, yeah, I'm feeling it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm feeling it. (laughs) I was reading on indigenous X. They had a, you you have a write up and it's, it's actually more about your lineage and you titled it because of her, I can't. And you really ah, yes. talk about the story of of your own family and and your mm. your great grandmother being this like you know woman who yeah. stood up against the Staunch. patriarchy, the colonial patriarchy. Yeah, you know. And I'm just like, mm. yeah, I love Granny Elsa yeah. too. How do I say your Granny's name? Yeah. Oh, I just love this um, story. Yeah, thank you. It's um, it was sort of it was me making sense of like I'm, I've been doing a lot of work into like Indigenous feminist standpoint theory and all of that. You know, there's some amazing feminist writers and scholars here and amazing women and looking at all over the world, all the wonderful feminist Indigenous scholars out there, just brilliant. And um, and I was looking, so my great-grandfather, um, who was Eliza, my great-grandmother's husband, you know, he's, he's celebrated to a degree um, you know, within the confines of colonial histories mm. um, for being involved. And he gave a speech on the day of mourning march in 1938, which was one of the world's very first civil rights marches. And so a lot of people will talk about the men and he did a lot of artwork and he did a lot of, he's had a big, a big character, big personality for the time and has left a big footprint that has been amazing for me to be able to step my foot into and just continue the road, you know, and do great stuff. But when I look at my great-grandmother and I think about the women who are in our communities and who don't have the privilege of being able to get out there necessarily and use big voices and get picked up by the radio and picked up by the media and whoever else and be heard on a larger scale, they're the ones who are there on the front line in the communities when the authorities would come in and try and take the kids and who are there trying to make sure that the kids are fed and looked after and no one can complain and no one can take them away and they're well and they're happy and they're healthy and and she raised so many children, particularly children with disabilities, because they were the ones most at risk of harm from the government. Mm. And um, the women in our communities are just amazing. And it's just, it's a typical patriarchal story that their lives are not examined. Their experiences are not listened to. Their, their lives are, because they go in and under the radar, and do all this amazing, quiet, but staunch and absolutely vital and necessary work and they're not up there on a grandstand and on a stage being heard, I think they're so overlooked and they're just amazing. And that particular year, because each year we have like a NADOC theme and that, that year was because of her I Can. Yep. So a lot of people were talking about, you know, um, because of this person doing this and this person doing this, all these amazing women in our lives that we can do these things. We can, we've got a voice now. We we are allowed to vote. We are allowed to do this, that, and the other. You know. Yeah. But I I thought about it and I thought because of her and because of my great grandfather and the people who came before me, I I can't just succumb to the forces of assimilation. So in my father's life, though so he is a very dark-skinned Aboriginal man, and he was forced to live within a white community because he was considered a half-caste because mm. his mother was white. Mm. And that in that generation, in that period, um, you know, children with one white parent were treated incredibly. That was the stolen generations. And it's a quite involved and long story. But what they wanted was for my father to live amongst white people, meet a white woman, get married and have kids with fair skin, green eyes, and it'll be all gone, it'll be all done, assimilation complete, you know, quarter cast kids and the whole quotient story and everything. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to my father. And my mother has got flaming bright red hair and translucent white skin. And it's lucky I've got as much colour as I've got at all. But I am very fair skinned and I'm green eyed. Mm. And so in the eyes of everybody around me, I'm not Aboriginal, yep. you know. 
And that's how I grew up. You know, you don't count. You don't count. And so when I look back and I see the fight that they fought and my father right under my eyes, right here under my nose in the middle of white suburbia in Sydney, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't not say. Everyone will say to me, oh, you can't really say you're Aboriginal. Don't do it. Like it's too much. Everyone will just, you know, give you a hard time and people just think you're cashing in or some ridiculous other story from the colonial world. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't let them win. I can't let assimilation win just because my skin isn't the right colour or just because I don't come across. Because people will spend an hour or two hours with me and they'll say, so where can we meet a real Aborigine? And I just, I want to kill them. Like, totally. I just want to kill them. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I'm giving you, this This is real Aboriginality here in Sydney. This is it. You're, yeah. you're with the frontline people. Yeah. You know, we were here in those very, very early, dark, dark days. Um, and I survived. So how on earth could I ever turn around now and go, yeah, you're right. It's all a bit too hard. I think I'll just go away. Yeah. I'm like, no way. No way. So because of her, I can't. I can't just go away because of her. I can't shut up. I can't let it win. I can't let them win. I'm right there um, with you. This is yep. This is why she did it. Yeah. For me to sit here now and be able to say this and do this work. So I wanted you yeah. to know. I love I, our women. Me too. I'm. I. It just hit me. I'm like you. It encapsulated what so many of us feel here. Um, there was one part in particular. Mm. I just want to give you a story about me. Um, so we yeah. had a shooting here and a, the shooting happened 30 years oh. ago and it, it not here right where I live, but way in Montreal, kind of across the country from me. And uh, from that shooting mm-hmm. came the very first, you know, policies and procedures, how, how to do and how to deal with police shootings, but the, or um, sorry, mm-hmm. in school shootings. But uh, what mm-hmm. the actual shooting was about was a man who was disgruntled and went to shoot and kill um, women in an engineering school so that's what he went out mm. to do because he was just he had this hate against feminists and he believed any mm. woman in an engineering school was a feminist and deserved to die so he actually killed yeah. he targeted these women and killed them and um, from that oh, we we honor that um, that killing every year we have we have a, a day of mourning of remembrance for it but we like this mm-hmm. is kind of like the UN conversation where we have a big talk, but we do shit all about violence against women in Canada. Like, absolutely. There's mm-hmm. been zero changes in gun laws, everything when it comes to this. We've had some gun laws yep. that have been taken apart, you know. So, you know, those those types of like platitudes. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting off topic. On the 25th year okay. um, anniversary, which would have been five years ago, I was asked to speak in um, in in the university, talking from an Indigenous standpoint about violence against Indigenous women. There was another speaker as well who spoke very well about violence against women. And the Calgary Herald only published her name or the other per- the other speaker's uh, name and story. And, and didn't even acknowledge I, I was there. Like, didn't even acknowledge. No. So this is only five years ago. So I just, yeah. when I seen the date, like, you know, 1938, and they wouldn't have even acknowledged your granny was there. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, no. well, here it is, you no. know, 2015, they wouldn't acknowledge me being at mm. the university talking about um, the, the shooting as uh, E. coli no. polytechnique. That's what we... That that's the school this happened yeah. at. So I was talking about that, and and I just seen that, and I'm like, holy Jesus! Like it's just the same pattern, mm. the same things over and over and over yeah. again. Whether it's here, whether it's India, and, and the other thing I I noticed was they call all the na- all the indigenous people black in Australia, and here they mistermed us mm. as Indian. So we're called Indians, yes, because they thought they landed in yeah. India, I guess. Yeah, we did in the, a lot of the colonial documents. We're described as Indians, yeah, and um, and as um, savages and natives, and uh, yeah, yeah, and all of those sorts of names. But um, we, we were so earmarked for not surviving colonization, like they were hundred percent convinced we were not going to survive that they didn't even bother naming us. So we just got called Aboriginal Incredible. and Aborigines. Just keep it at that. But um, we describe ourselves now as black. Yeah. 
um, which is very confronting, I think, for the rest of the world because <laughs> I do not have black skin and I completely acknowledge that that is a privilege in this colonised world to not have dark skin, that there's a whole level of um, damage and prejudice and that comes with the prejudice that comes with having dark skin and I don't have that. Yeah. Um, but that's a complex part of the story as well because it's an awful, awful thing to not look the way you feel. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a terrible thing to carry the scars of of such damage and such destruction, deliberate damage and destruction, that I deliberately look like this because the government wanted to wipe my father's family out. I feel so that. So that's, that's a crazy level of of damage to carry around daily, isn't it? It's horrible. It's awful. Um, we, we talk about but, intergenerational yeah. trauma. Um, you know, multi-colonial yeah. policies that cause trauma. And, uh, mm. and even for me, I talk about every day being my healing journey and uh, from decolonizing, you know, that whole concept, it, it's constant and it has to be because, uh, you know, I can't, I can't uh, mm. pass that on anymore to my daughter. It's in her skin. It's in her DNA. Yeah. It's in her blood. Mm. But, oh, you know, it's like so much more than color. It yeah. really is, but it, it's the point it that really uh, they did yeah. such a great job of trying to erase us. And I think that's why I'm so mm -hmm. proud to be Native is that, you know, you tried, but you did, you mm. failed. Bottom line, you failed. Yeah, you failed. Yeah. 100% failed. Yeah. And I just, every time I have conversations like this, I and like I live this life and I do this work, I just, you know, I think about my dad and I just think about, with my family that came before me and I was like not on my watch and I just nice. you know I feel them all there with me just you know screaming as loud as me and just coming in <laughs> behind me just helping me through this and I love I wouldn't have it any other way and I just I couldn't sleep at night if I didn't do this work that's awesome I didn't make sure their stories lived on yeah I love it I well, it. I can't tell you what an honor it's been to have you on my show today. I can't believe how quick the time goes oh. by. <laughs> Has it gone already? Oh my I gosh. Know. Yeah, look at that. It has to. I know. I'll come back anytime, anytime. Well, I and vice versa. Talking, like if you, you just want to and... chat, let's just chat because I yeah, I want to hear <laughs> maybe what we should do is just say, look, in six months mm. we're going for a new update on what is happening with the fires because yeah. I know that they talked about yeah. looking into like doing some kind of inquiry or whatever but at the end of the day if it's not mm. including indigenous voices then what's the point yeah and even if it yeah. does it's been sorry go ahead yeah yeah no it's been really interesting it will be so interesting to see what comes of this because I have noticed that I think because there's a bit of a world view on it now yeah and the world is watching I think it'll be very interesting to see what comes of this and what happens uh, yeah I think it might be a different story who knows I'm I could be terribly optimistic which is almost annoying but, but you know um, what it's important like something will change um you it know is, really I was is. talking to a Hawaiian yesterday last night on a podcast and they said to me mm. and, and they said to us on this was that um because it's getting such bad, bad publicity, the um, um, mountain that they're trying to put this telescope on, that tourists are pulling their mm. money. And until a certain, they kind mm. of reached a threshold. And when they reached that, they said, look, you guys, you got to quit doing this. And I kind of feel like that's really yeah. becoming a global thing that people are realizing mm. that they're, even their traveling and vacation time is hurting indigenous people and so like even for you i yeah. think that in your continent where you're talking about you know any type of mm -hmm. any type of tourism i mean i tell my yeah. parents who are like well i want to go for a vacation where do you think we should go where was the last devastation that happened what where was the last hurricane go there because yes. those people need your money yeah <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah. what people are starting to do now up and down the coast especially in the towns because they are, they're all holiday towns. Their money is made over the period of Christmas time and their, pla their places have just been absolutely decimated. And the, the roads have all been blocked, so people haven't even been able to come in and out even if there aren't fires in particular places. Wow. So people are starting to now say, okay, where should I go? What should I do? What places are we going to go to? But um, I've also seen, what was I say? about the fires, Indigenous voices, people across the world. Oh, the stories are coming out now about 
so because the government and and the you know the officials the authorities won't take on the um, Aboriginal burning and the Indigenous um, cool burning and cultural burning that we do some private people some private properties have taken it on and they have had already like six months ago had cultural burning done on their properties and the stories are all coming out now about how the fire has gone the fires went completely around their properties hmm. didn't touch them shocking not at so all. i've read i've read three of them already yeah i've read three of them already just in the last couple of days and i'm like yes this is what we need this is these are the stories we've got to hold on to and get out there it's like fantastic so Right, and yeah. hold the government accountable for basically blocking you from your cultural yeah. heritage. So, yeah, geez, Louise. Yeah, go to the insurance companies and see if they'll sue the government and say, "Look what you did! <laughs> Look what you made happen." That's a great point, actually. <laughs> That's totally. Valid. I think so too. Yeah. Any insurance companies out there who'd like to take me <laughs> on, we can go and we can petition the government and get the money back off them. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Well, I invite yeah, you. You can so. either hear what I say at the end of my podcast, or or if you'd like, you can. Yeah. You, I can let you go. Um, I just would love for you to hear kind of some of the things that we have here that yeah. that's happening, and um, yes. I just can't thank Please. you enough for being on my show. Uh Guru, thank you, uh, and Uru um, Wonganalanali. That means go and walk in the sunshine. Don't walk in the dark. It's dangerous. I love that. Oh, we, uh, I I have a friend of mine. Oh, what does that mean? (laughs) Gumal is like um, spirit friend. Um, So Dejadiguru is thank you. So Dejadiguru in the spirit of friendship. The instant, instant. um, It's just like that. We're instant friends. So (laughs) awesome. 100%. (laughs) Well, thank you. And yeah, what what I'll do is I'll put it in my calendar six months Mm. from now. We got to touch base again and and hear how it's going and if there is any good positive movement on, uh, you know, the outcome of all of these awful fires. So. Mm. And um, if anything amazing happens, I'll be sure to let you know first thing. Uh Oh, I can't yeah, wait to can tell others. Again. Yeah, and I'll I'll let yeah. everybody who's listening know. Like, guess what? Guess who contacted me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guess what happened? Yes, yes. She's burning the national park. <laughs> the biggest national park. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> on fire! Oh my god! <laughs> now we can all start from scratch. So, no yeah. kidding. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'll go into my speech here, and and I I invite you to, yeah, to hear what I say. I'm sure. listening. Awesome. Yep. Indigenous and, have been talking yep. about their issues, sharing their traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so that it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their platforms and their policies. If they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs, services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 94 calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, the violence prevention programs, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism, in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties or local politicians, community organizations, sport clubs, and more. A great article that I read out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without microaggressions, without tone police, leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, and by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. 
Typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism who are gatekeepers who survive off the status quo, or people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from trying to do the good work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and that's why I needed this podcast to be heard as a boundary. My hope is my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they understand. I continue to uh, advocate for cultural safety so that if you create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with a disability, Muslim, LGBTQ, you can look at it as first aid for marginalization. So if you Google cultural safety, you'll you'll read about, uh, you know, not having good intentions is never enough that you have to actually take um, take the initiative to create some change on how to be a bystander in a situation where you see somebody being harassed. Uh, Don't escalate the situation. Don't call the police unless you're asked. Teach your children about accountability in a safe way. If you're experiencing emotional distress or want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit uh, Hope for Wellness Helpline at one 855 242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A huge thank you to my ancestors, my granny and mom, of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family, and for stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her I'm a second-generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Darcy for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, he has supported me down my journey of the Red Road, witnessing decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Again, thank you, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing. If you did one donation or had many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give thank you to those that cannot afford to give but listen in i'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com we are also on itunes google play stitcher and i just want to say that when i see these calgary rabbits i just say you're lucky i'm not your dish my beautiful cousin would respond or you'd be in my dish and with that i want to say thank you thank you for listening to native calgarian masi chofi